Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 with me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects and also to provide refresher episodes for practicing architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And this week, we will be talking about the National Design Guide. Today's episode meets PC3 of the Part 3 criteria. So the National Design Guide is a resource that was published by the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government in 2021. And it outlines national design guidance for creating beautiful, enduring and successful places. Together with the National Model Design Code and guidance note for design codes and the National Design Guide, support the policies within the National Planning Policy Framework and all guides form part of the government's collection of planning practice guidance. So the National Design uh, Guide provides the principles for good design that are fit for purpose, durable and bring delight. It's guidance for not just the building, but the place, taking into account different users experiencing it, its landscape, infrastructure, design with future adaption in mind, consideration of views and many more. It has been prepared with the context of social, economic and environmental change in mind. And the National Planning Policy Framework sets out that achieving high quality places and buildings is fundamental to the planning and development process. It also expands on the principles of good design to define what is expected for well-designed places and explain how planning policies and decisions should support this. So the aim of the National Design Guide in this is to address the question of how we recognize well-designed places by outlining and illustrating the government's priorities for well-designed places in the form of 10 characteristics and is based on the National Planning Policy Practice Guidance. So local authorities may develop their own local design policies, guides or codes based on the National Design Guidance and the MPPF and applicants are expected to review these and address them in their planning applications. Uh, So that's why it's relevant for us to know these uh, guidances. So all local design policies, design guides and codes will have to be considered by local authorities to assist in their local plans to set out a baseline understanding of the local context and an analysis of local character and identity. So this may include the relationship between the natural environment and built development, the typical patterns of built form that contribute positively to local character. It may also include the street pattern, their proportions and landscape features, the proportions of buildings and landscape features, and the local vernacular, other architecture and architectural features that contribute to local character. Uh, Applicants will also need to use these guides to develop a well-designed place, which has gone through an integrated design process, bringing the 10 characteristics together in a mutually supporting way, which creates the overall character of a place. So this applies to proposals of all sizes, including small-scale incremental changes, such as new buildings, infill developments, major developments, and larger-scale developments like urban extensions, new settlements, and infrastructure. 
So when an application starts looking at the early stage of the design process, a number of different characteristics will need to be considered to meet the requirements of the design guide, such as locally identified priorities and concerns, the strategic priorities of the local authority, the priorities of a particular user group, the scale of the proposal, and the site and location. So if a development is of poor design and it fails to improve on the character and quality of an area and how it functions, guidance in both the National Design Guide and the MPPF support that permission should be refused. So the National Design Guide states that the design and access statement should set out a clear story for the design concept and how it has evolved into a design proposal and how it was informed and addresses all 10 characteristics uh, that are set out in the National Design Guide. So now looking to the 10 characteristics more specifically I mentioned, these 10 characteristics have been outlined to help enhance and address characteristics relating to character, community and climate and they all contribute towards the cross-cutting themes for good design set out in the MPPF. So the 10 characteristics include context, identity, uh, built form, movement, nature, public spaces, uses, homes and buildings, resources, and lifespan. Now let's look at each one in more detail, starting with context. So context relates to the location of the development and the attributes of its immediate local and regional surroundings. An understanding of the context, history and cultural characteristics of a site, neighborhood and region will influence the location, the sitting and the design of new developments so that they are well grounded in their locality and more likely to be acceptable to existing communities. So creating a positive sense of place helps to foster a sense of belonging and contributes to well-being, inclusion and community cohesion. So items to be taken into consideration when looking into context include the existing built development, uh, local heritage, landform and topography, the landscape character, access movement and accessibility in general, uh, the environment, views in and out of the site, pattern of uses and activities, and how the area functions. So well-designed developments are integrated into their wider surroundings, physically, socially, and visually, and should be shaped by understanding the context and identifying opportunities for design as well as constraints, meaning the proposal doesn't necessarily have to copy its surroundings, it may be more appropriate to introduce elements that reflect uh, latest living trends and innovative design, benefiting and enhancing the wider surroundings. So to communicate the benefits of a scheme, it's important to explain how the design of a development relates to context and local character, and that it has also considered the local history, culture and heritage, and how these have influenced the built environment and wider landscape. So that's context. Let's look at the second characteristic, which is identity. So the guide sets out identity or character of a place as coming from the way that buildings, streets and spaces, landscape and infrastructure combine together and how people experience them. So local character makes places distinctive and memorable and helps people to find their way around. So well-designed, sustainable places with a strong identity 
give their users, occupiers and owners a sense of pride, helping to create and sustain communities and neighborhoods. So characteristics to take into consideration when looking into identity include an appreciation and understanding of vernacular, local or regional character, characteristics of existing built form, looking at distinctive elements of a place and other features of the context that are particular to the area, such as the composition of street scenes, uh, heights, scale, views, landmarks, uh, could include roofscapes, facade design, landscape, nature, uh, and wildlife, and many more. So proposals should then contribute to the local distinctiveness, which may be through adopting typical building forms, proportions, details, materials, and patterns, or by drawing upon the architectural precedents that are prevalent in the local area, or by introducing built form and appearance that adds new character and difference to the area, and creating a positive and coherent identity that residents and local communities can identify with. Where the character of an existing place has limited or few positive qualities, then a new and positive character will enhance its identity. Now let's move on to the third characteristics within the guide, which is built form. So under the guide, built form is defined as the three-dimensional pattern or arrangement of development blocks, streets, buildings and open spaces. It's the interrelationship between all these elements that creates an attractive place to live, work and visit, and is relevant to city and town centres, suburbs, villages and rural settlements. So well-designed places have compact forms of development that are walkable, contributing to well-being and placemaking, and provide accessible public transport services, have recognisable streets and other spaces defined by buildings, improving wayfinding, and providing memorable features or groupings of buildings, spaces and uses, creating a sense of place and promoting inclusion and cohesion. So built form is determined by good urban design principles that combine layout, uh, form and scale in a way that responds positively to the context with appropriate density, building types and character. Streets are also key to successful built form patterns which depend on the width of the streets uh, relating to their use, the height of buildings and how they are built up along their length and their relationship between building fronts and backs, providing interest, overlooking and active frontages at ground level. So key positions for tall buildings is also critical in creating landmarks and emphasizing important places which make a positive contribution to view and the skyline. So that's built form. Then we have the fourth characteristic within the guide, which is movement. So the guide refers to movement in relation to people's patterns and how they are integral to well-designed uh, places. Uh, so this includes walking and cycling, access to facilities, uh, employment and servicing, parking, and the convenience of public transport. So ease of movement contributes to making high-quality places for people to enjoy, and their success is measured by how they contribute to the quality and character of the place, not only how uh, well they function. Successful developments that therefore depend on a movement network that makes connections to destinations, places and communities, uh, both within the site and beyond its boundaries. 
So a well-designed movement network defines streets that are safe and accessible for all, function efficiently to get everyone around, taking into account diversity and all potential user needs, prioritizing and encouraging walking, cycling and public transport, and limiting the impact of car use. Uh, it would also promote activity and social interaction and incorporate green infrastructure, improving air quality and biodiversity. So well-designed places provide a connected network, giving people the maximum choice in how to make their journeys. So these should be integrated into public spaces with character that people enjoy using through their layout, the landscape, lighting and materials. Therefore, a clear layout and hierarchy of streets is key uh, in order to help people to find their way around. Wider spaces are well situated for busier streets, whereas narrow streets are more suitable where there is limited vehicle movement and speeds are low. Movement prioritizes pedestrian and cycle movements subject to location and connections, meaning routes created are safe, direct, convenient, and accessible for people of all abilities. So in well-designed places, people shouldn't need to rely on the car for everyday journeys. Uh, parking is also fundamental to the quality of a place or development. Therefore, well-designed car and cycle parking at home and other destinations should be conveniently sited, promoting its use. Uh, and this could be through off-site parking to avoid pavement parking and congested streets. Uh, electric vehicle charging should also be considered, as well as access for servicing for refuse collection, deliveries and removals. Uh, next, we have the fifth characteristic within the guide, which is nature. So the guide sets out nature as an element to be considered to contribute to the quality of a place and to people's quality of life. So natural features should be integrated into well-designed developments by providing natural and designed landscapes, high-quality public open spaces, street trees, planting and water. So well-designed places should integrate existing and incorporate new natural features into a multifunctional network that supports quality of place, biodiversity and water management. And they should also prioritize nature, promoting uh, diverse uh, ecosystems and providing attractive open spaces in um, locations that are easy to access with activities for all to enjoy promoting social inclusion. So open spaces should be designed in a range of sizes and locations, have a variety of natural and designed landscapes, have opportunity for formal and informal play, consider integrated drainage, ecology, shading, recreation and food production, as well as long-term maintenance and management regimes. So that covers uh, nature. Moving on to the sixth characteristic within the guide, which is public space. So public spaces are quite uh, interrelated with the fifth characteristic, nature, and also the fourth, which is movement, uh, that we um, just went through. So under the guide, public spaces are defined as streets, squares and other spaces that are open to all and they are the setting for most uh, movement. So the design of a public space encompasses its sitting and integration into the wider network of routes, as well as its various elements, including areas allocated to cars, uh, cyclists and pedestrians. 
So well-designed public spaces should support a wide variety of activities and encourage social interaction, have a hierarchy of spaces that range from large and strategic to small and local spaces, such as parks and squares. Public spaces should also feel safe, secure and attractive and have trees and other planting providing shading, air quality and climate change uh, mitigation. They should have buildings around the edges of a space, provide active frontages and natural surveillance, encourage uh, people to enter the space for an activity or destination, and they should also consider risk assessment and mitigation at an early stage of the design process, ensuring safe and secure spaces. So that covers public spaces. Moving on to the seventh characteristic within the guide, which is uses. So the guide sets out uses as sustainable places that incorporate a mix of uses that support everyday activities, including live, work and play. So the guide mentions that well-designed neighbourhoods need to include an integrated mix of tenures and housing types that reflect the local housing need and market demand. They should also be designed to be inclusive and meet the changing needs of people of different ages and abilities and be able to adapt to rapid social and economic change. So well-designed places should have a mix of uses and facilities, such as schools, uh, nurseries, workplaces, healthcare, recreational and commercial uses. Particular attention should be paid to the arrangement of ground floor uses and access arrangements to upper floors. A mix of home tenures, types and sizes should also be considered, providing a variety and choice of homes to suit all needs and ages, such as affordable housing, care homes and student accommodations. And also they should promote social inclusivity by making space accessible for all, maximizing the potential for social interaction, avoid features that could create physical or perceived barriers and provide a consistent level of design quality across tenures and using local resources as destinations. So that's uses. Now let's look at the next uh, eighth characteristic within the guide, which is homes and buildings. So these are defined within the guide as functional, accessible and sustainable, meaning they provide environments and associate external spaces that support the health and well-being of their users and those who experience them. Additionally, they should meet the needs of a diverse range of users, taking into account factors such as the aging population and cultural differences and be adequate in size fit for purpose and adaptable to the changing needs of their occupants over time. So successful buildings should provide attractive, stimulating and positive places uh, for everyone by providing good quality internal and external environments for their users, relate positively to the private, shared and public spaces around them and resolve the details of operation and servicing so they are unobtrusive and well integrated into their neighbourhoods. So well-designed homes and buildings should be efficient and cost-effective to run, reduce carbon emissions and incorporate features that encourage sustainable lifestyles, providing good ventilation, avoid overheating, minimize sound pollution and good air quality. They should also provide a good standard and quality of internal space through adequate room sizes, floor-to-ceiling heights, internal and external storage, uh, sunlight, daylight and ventilation. 
and where need is identified, local plans may adopt the national described uh, space standards. So well-designed buildings should also be carefully integrated with their surrounding external spaces, ensuring they are of high quality, convenient and function well. Uh, they should also provide amenity that has a reasonable degree of privacy and designed to respond to local character and they are of appropriate size, shape and position. Where shared amenity is provided, it should be designed to feel safe and secure for its users, providing opportunities for comfort, relaxation and stimulation and is well overlooked by all the residents who share them. Provisions should also be made for local waste storage, management and pickup. Also, services for utilities and cleaning should be provided through the design as well as cycle storage reducing car use. Um, so that's homes and buildings. Next is the ninth characteristic within the guide, which is resources. So resources are outlined within the guide as natural resources, including land, water, energy and materials. Uh, and it states that well-designed places should incorporate these into the design, assisting in responding to the impacts of climate change by being energy efficient and minimizing carbon emissions to meet uh, net zero by 2050. So a compact and walkable neighborhood with a mix of uses and facilities reduces the demand for energy and supports health and well-being and uses land efficiently, increasing the ability for CO2 absorption, sustaining natural ecosystems, minimizing flood risk and reducing overheating and air pollution. So well-designed places should be designed with a layout form and mix of uses that reduce their resource requirements, a fit for purpose and adaptable over time as well as using materials and adopting technologies to minimize their environmental impact through passive measures, including form, orientation and fabric. They should also maximize their contributions of natural resources, such as sun, ground, wind and vegetation, making use of potential for renewable energy infrastructure at neighborhood and building level. So these uh, could include PV panels, heat pumps and district heating systems, uh, reducing demand for non-sustainable energy sources. So well-designed places should also follow the principles of life carbon assessment and a circular economy, reducing embodied carbon and waste and maximizing reuse and recycling. Uh, and last but not least, the 10th characteristic within the guide, which is lifespan. So lifespan is defined within the guide as well-designed places that sustain their beauty over the long term and add to the quality of life of their users, encouraging users to care for them over their lifespan. So such places, buildings and spaces should be designed and planned for long-term stewardship by landlords, communities and local authorities be designed to be robust, easy to use and looked after and enable users to establish a sense of ownership and belonging, be adaptable to their users' changing needs and designed to be well managed and maintained by their users, owners, landlords and public agencies. So that covers the 10 characteristics set out in the National Design Guide, which are based on the objectives for design set out in Chapter 12, Achieving Well-Designed Places of the National Planning Policy Framework. 
There are many other guides to good design and placemaking, and they provide more detailed guidance and examples of best practice on particular topics to inform local authority officers and counsellors, applicants and the design teams. So that covers the National Design Guide. So I felt this was uh, useful to cover um, because it could assist with some of the questions that uh, exams place or potential coursework uh, scenarios place in terms of um, planning and what items you could do to improve places and spaces. Uh, so if you get a question like that, then you could use the examples uh, mentioned uh, in this episode and what is set out in the National Design Guide. So to sum up what I discussed today, the National Design Guide sets out the characteristics of well-designed places and demonstrates what good design means in practice. It forms part of the government's collection of planning practice guidance and should be read alongside the separate planning practice guidance on design processes and tools. The National Design Guide addresses the question of how we recognise well-designed places by outlining and illustrating the government's priorities for well-designed places in the form of 10 characteristics. And these 10 characteristics help to nurture and sustain a sense of community uh, and work positively to address environmental uh, issues affecting the climate. And they all contribute towards the themes of good design set out in the MPPF. So these 10 characteristics are context, identity, built form, movement, nature, public spaces, uses, homes and buildings, resources, and lifespan. And that concludes today's episode. If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. This is an educational show aimed at supporting the future generation of architects. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more part three with me time.